Well, hello everyone. Hello everyone on uh, Zoom. Now, I imagine most uh, guest preachers say it's really great to be here, um, but yeah, it really is. Uh, me and Fern, if you've never met us uh, before, uh, we're not just here today uh, and next Sunday, but actually joining uh, this family. Uh, so we're really excited to be here. Um, yeah, it's a real privilege. So yeah, today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Um, so if you look on your service sheet, I think there's actually a, a verse missing, and I think it's verse 27. So we'll read through it together, um, but then I'll add in 27 as well. Yeah, there we go. So this morning, my, my big hope is that God will speak into our situation of the fact that tomorrow we'll see the end of restrictions, uh, and God will just speak into that situation, what on earth was that, you know, and, and help us to recover to gain strength as we look to, to carry on living by faith. So let's, let's turn to Hebrews uh, 11. Um, we start with some context from chapter 10 to 39, and then some context in chapter 12 as well. So let's read it together. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are uh, visible. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then to add verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured a seeing him who is invisible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this morning, we are going to be focusing in on the life of Moses, as I'm sure you've picked up from the reading there. Um, but as, in chapter 11, I like to see it as the National Portrait Gallery of Heaven. The National Portrait Gallery of Heaven. Because in Hebrews, in Hebrews as a whole, we have a teacher, and he's working with a group of believers and in chapter 11, the teacher moves on from all this Christology, this teaching, um, and he says, let's go on an on a outing, an excursion, to see the history of God's faithful. And so as they enter the, the National Portrait Gallery of Heaven, we also join them on this trip. Now, earlier on in chapter 4, the teacher showed the group a different kind of people, ones they should avoid becoming. In chapter 4, they saw what are known as the wilderness generation who became disobedient to God and lost confidence 
in God's character and power. And so they walked away from the faith and failed to reach the promised land. Do not be like these people, said the teacher. Instead, as they enter the National Portrait Gallery of Heaven, be like these people. In fact, if they live by faith, then they won't just be like the people of chapter 11. They stand amongst them as family. And the same goes for us. As we walk through the gallery of chapter 11, seeing the history of God's faithful from creation to Christ, we are not only admiring their actions, but knowing they are ancestors. Brothers and sisters, we are part of the same family. And one day, by the grace of God, our portraits will also be displayed on these walls, like stunning murals displaying the way we also live by faith. Now, as we enter the gallery, like all good exhibitions, there is a large white wall with black writing on it. We see there are two quotes for us to read. And the first one says this, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We see these words in chapter 10, 39. Now, the group understand the first part of the sentence. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's the chapter four wilderness generation. But what about the second part? We are those who have faith and preserve their souls. What does it mean to have this saving faith? What does it look like? Well, the second quote helps to answer this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We have these words in chapter 11, verse 1. In other words, faith is not about a fragile and fickle hope or, or even a desperate longing that God might be out there somewhere and, you know, and hopefully it will all be worth it in the end. Faith is knowing that God is reality. Faith means being assured. It means a, a solid confidence, a strong conviction in God's presence, power, and promise. God is present and powerful, and God is going to keep his promise that Jesus will return and will lead all who believe into the holy city of God. Now, does that answer all of our questions about faith? No. But that's not what the teacher is trying to achieve. In, in this trip to the gallery, the teacher wants us to look out for something specific about faith. And that is the way people's lives and actions are being shaped by knowing the reality of God, his power and promise. And so the big question to ask with every portrait in this gallery, how is knowing the reality of God's presence, power and promise shaping the lives of these people? Now today we're, we're going to focus on Moses's portrait. So we ask, how is knowing the reality of God's presence, power and promise shaping the life of Moses? Well, the big thing we see with the life of Moses is that faith means being brave and courageous. Not just doing any old brave thing, like you know, going to the dentist, but making brave commitments and decisions because of belief, love, and obedience to God. More specifically, we see it means uh, for Moses to, to bravely identify with God's people and courageously abandon Egypt for God. We have three points as we look at and discuss three courageous acts from the life of Moses, and we'll also consider and apply uh, these to our own lives. So firstly, faith means seeing God's power over death. If we enter into the reality of knowing God's presence, power, and promise, 
It means that we trust God's power over death, and that changes everything. As we look at the portrait of Moses' life, we can see how it enabled uh, his parents to act courageously for their baby and overcome the fear of the Egyptian king. Let's read it again together. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child uh, was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So from verse 33 then, we can see that the act of faith was the parents hiding their son for three months after he was born. And this seems to arise from seeing something extraordinary in their child. And, and from that, they were able to overcome the danger and threat brought about by the king's law. But let's, let's remind ourselves what was happening in Egypt, that mum and dad needed to hide their baby. Exodus chapter 1, the king is worried about the high number of Israelites. He thinks if they keep increasing, then one day they'll side with the enemies of Egypt and leave the country. Now, uh, note that down, and we'll come back to it. The king doesn't want them to leave Egypt. And so the king of Egypt makes an edict, he makes an order uh, to all his people. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. They shall be killed, drowned. And so when Moses' mum gives birth and she sees a boy, you might expect an overwhelming amount of fear, shattering anxiety, full-on agonizing pain in her heart, knowing that all of the king's uh, people, if they follow the order, will be looking to throw her baby boy into the river. But instead, the mother sees something in her child. Acts 7, uh, 20, to add just something a little extra to this. He was beautiful in God's sight. Now, a lot of what the teacher does in, in Hebrews is to pick up on traditional teaching and ways of thinking about the uh, people of the Old Testament, especially Moses. And perhaps it was a well-known custom to think of Moses' birth containing a sign to his parents of the significance his life would have in the future, that he would one day leave the people out of slavery. But the question remains, what enabled Moses' parents to act so boldly and courageously? A helpful way of working this out is by seeing how the dynamics of the Moses section is like a mirror to the previous Abraham. Don't worry, we're not going to go into that too deeply. But simply notice at the end of the Abraham section, if you've got your Bibles, verse 7 to 19, we're told the well-known story of when Abraham offered Isaac, his son, to God as a sacrifice. And so, as Hebrews uh, puts it, Isaac was, figuratively speaking, raised from the dead when the angel of the Lord stopped the sacrifice. So at the end of the Abraham's portrait, we have a child who survives death, just like the start of the Moses section. Surely then, the artist of, of such a portrait wants us to see that, like Abraham, the parents of Moses had a faith that allowed them to enter into the reality that knows God has power over death. And something they saw in Moses led them into that reality. When a mother is pregnant, it's not something you can hide. For months, people have been expecting this mother to produce a child. But for three months, they were able to hide the fact that labor had happened and a child was present. And over that three-month period, if anyone saw what made Moses a boy, the king would have known the parents were being disobedient. And a king who has no uh, qualms with killing babies will not think twice about killing the parents who stand in his way. But the parents lived by faith, 
uh, and that meant not letting the fear of death shape the way they lived and acted. This may feel uh, a distant and unfamiliar act of bravery when we worship in the safety of Britain, but consider the lives of all the people in the countries where the church is heavily persecuted, where their lives are lost because they live by faith, in places where believers courageously meet in the dark of night, and yet believers are still murdered, where families are torn apart, and yet they still live by faith. Their portraits will hang in the hall of heaven's gallery and will display how their faith, their confident in God's power over death, shaped their lives. Will our own portrait communicate that we saw God's power over death and so lived our lives with this confidence? The teacher of Hebrews is working with a group of believers who have been through a lot together. In the past, they endured a hard struggle with sufferings publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and plundering of their property. They've been through a lot together. But now the big fear of the, the teacher has for them is that they're tired and weak and shrinking back. As we've already seen in uh, 1039, God provides two alternative courses of action in this life. Either shrink back or have faith. Now, chapter 11 is not about the teacher trying to make them feel bad for shrinking back, but longing for them to be growing in maturity of faith and stand proudly amongst the people of chapter 11. And as we move through the, the life of Moses' portrait, we will, we will learn and see more about how this, grow, this right direction of growth looks like. Uh, but here in the, in the image of Moses' parents, the big message is, to live without fear because of God's power over death. And I do not remember a time when there was so much talk about death. Sometimes it feels like living in a dystopian movie with this daily death count. It surely leads to a growing sense of anxiety and, and panic. But if we keep our eyes open to see the reality of God's power, we will find the strength to live like Moses' parents. Now, that may look different for different people. Sometimes it means disobeying an unjust anti-God law, showing the same kind of courage uh, of what we see in this portrait. But that is our duty, to live bravely and boldly as God's faithful. But I'm not saying you must go out and do anything radical, but, but maybe it looks as simple as praying about it during the news in the morning. Thank you, Lord, for your power over death. I am not afraid. The resurrection is my reality. Amen. So our second point, faith means seeing God's people as family. Now, seeing God's people as family, for a lot of people, it seems like a nice idea. It's not something that requires courage. But not everyone finds it that easy, especially in difficult circumstances. And as we look at the next part of the portrait, of Moses' life, we will see that faith allowed Moses to overcome the suffering that comes as a, as a consequence for identifying with God's people. Let's remind ourselves of verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. 
From these verses, then, we can see the act of faith was refusing to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and identifying instead with God's people. The opposition that he had to overcome was willingly, willingly replacing all the treasures and advantages of Egypt for mistreatment, a life of poverty and hardship. And the reason he was able to overcome the painful consequences of identifying with God's people is because he was looking ahead to the life God had prepared for him in the holy city. Now, if you know the life of Moses well from Exodus, when we see this example of faith that we read in verse 24, it feels like something doesn't quite add up. Quick flashback to what uh, this moment looked like back in Exodus. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So in the Hebrew uh, portrait, we get the impression Moses tells his foster parents, you know, I, I choose instead to live with my Hebrew family, but when we look back to Exodus, this actually looks like a murder and a cover-up. So what's going on here? Why has this moment been painted in a different light? As I mentioned in our, our previous point, the Hebrew teacher seems to be addressing and using traditional Jewish teaching and, and understanding of Moses to make this point. And we do see in, in Jewish literature an interpretation that this act of Moses killing the Egyptian came as a result of being increasingly pressurized under the immoral anger and power of the Egyptian king. And at this point, emotions just explode after so much time of witnessing the immoral, horrendous oppression. And so Moses was propelled into action to make a choice. Was he going to continue in silence seeing the suffering of God's people, or was he going to join them? Yes, in Exodus, we have a murder and a cover-up, but what the painter, uh, painter of Moses' portrait in Hebrews wants to emphasize is not an ethical discussion about the specifics of Moses' actions, but that in such an action, he was making a choice. Firstly, by declaring who he is not, an adopt adopted child of Egypt, and secondly, by declaring who he is, an adopted child of God. It's interesting that we see in verse 25 the phrase people of God, not the enslaved Israelites or Hebrews. This is, this is one of the ways uh, these portraits are clearly intended to be inviting those who view them to, uh, to, to see these people as members of the same family today. We are all adopted children of God, brothers and sisters by the blood of Christ. And as much as that seems a lovely thing to say here, right now, it often demands a tremendous act of courage. As we see with Moses, by identifying with God's people, it exposes him to the anger and fury of the unbelieving world. Consider the non-Christian parents and friends of a student who's been at university for years getting their med medical degree. Then they turn down a job offer because the town doesn't have a solid church, or they sense God is calling them to serve somewhere else. That student may take a lot of heat from, from their parents and friends alike. Why would they turn down such an opportunity? Consider the choices families have made to keep gathering even when it seems impossible, 
Now, Rupert told me that uh, you guys uh, were once meeting to worship outside at one point. You know, that's just amazing. It's so brave, so courageous. You know, some people may have looked on at that and thought, you know, what a bunch of weird people. But as a believer, I, you know, I feel so privileged to be joining this church family of brave and loving adopted children of God. In verse 26, Moses considered it a privilege and far greater advantage to see God's people as family, even though it meant being disgraced for his choice. He saw it as a, a privilege and a far greater advantage because he lived the reality of God's, God's presence, his power, and promise. Now, I want to ask you to do something a little bit weird, but just take a moment to look around the room. Take a good look at everyone here. These people are family, and no matter what difficult things are happening, even just dealing with the fact that you're really bored sitting there listening to me, one day we will be together in the holy city of God. Isn't that amazing? We've already uh, talked about the teacher's concern for the group shrinking back. And I want to just keep adding to that because it's important to understand the seriousness of the, the situation because shrinking back leads to complete apostasy. In chapter 6, we see a warning to the group, a wake-up call, though it's more like a, a foghorn than an alarm clock. But consider all the people who haven't been able to attend church. What about the folks who aren't wealthy enough to afford the technology to access it from home? What about all the people who have been uh, secluded and isolated from ch uh, church family and they've fallen to temptation? What about all the people who just couldn't be bothered to turn on Zoom? What about the people who didn't fancy church without singing? They haven't even been around to hear the wake-up call. And I think as a result, there will be so many people who have, have fallen away, drifted from a, a spiritual sleepiness to full-on abandonment of Christ. And we can pray for those who have left the faith, but the big message for us to hear from God today is a wake-up for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really tired. Finally, tomorrow, we get to a, a sense of normality again. But just getting to this point, the endurance needed has left me physically and emotionally tired. But let us receive the wake-up call. The answer is not to shrink back. The answer lies in, verse, uh, in our third point. Faith means seeing God's presence in Christ. Being blind to the reality of God's presence, power, and promise would surely leave the most optimistic person without hope or motivation as they look out at the world. Yet the life of Moses was full of actions, uh, brave actions, courage, uh, because he continually looked to God. At his birth, Moses, uh, we, we saw how he was hidden from Egypt. Moses then himself refused to belong to Egypt. And now for our final point, we'll see how Moses courageously abandons Egypt altogether because he continually looks to God. Let me read out verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. From verse 27, then, we can see Moses' act of faith was leaving Egypt. 
We can also see that his faith meant he did not fear the king's anger, and he was able to overcome any difficulty and persevere because he could see God. In other words, he entered the reality of God's presence, which gave him confidence in God's power for survival and receiving the future promise. As already mentioned, this Moses section is like a mirror to the Abraham examples. And comparing this event is helpful to see the big point that is being made. With Abraham, which is in verse 8 and 10, the emphasis of his faith is on the country to where he is going. The emphasis of Moses' faith is on the country he is leaving. Because Abraham did not know anything about the place where he was heading to, he needed to trust God. But because Moses knew everything about the place he was leaving, he needed to trust God. Abraham didn't know where he was going, so he needed a confident faith in the power of God to lead him into the unknown, to fulfill his promise of a future life in the city. Moses knew the king's anger, the countless murdering of baby boys, the ferocious hunger for power and wealth. So Moses needed a confident faith in the power of God to deliver him from present hardship so he could persevere and receive the promised future life in the city of God. We can look to God to lead us, and we can look to God to deliver us. Um, but for Abraham and Moses, the experience of looking to God was, of course, slightly different from what we have today. They had particular experiences we can read about in the Old Testament, but the dynamic of continually looking to God is the same. In the opening verses of Hebrews chapter 12, the, the teacher describes it like this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The NIV uses the word fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as we look or fix our eyes on Jesus, what do we see? Chapter 12 continues who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the pain and humility of the crucifixion so that we would be able to live with assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, to enter into the reality of God's presence, power, and promise. The provision of Christ is the power of God for us to see in our present life. The old faithful in chapter 11 lived by faith without knowing this privilege. And so we must surely be comforted, restored, spurred on, motivated by seeing God's presence in Christ. Let's consider our portrait in the halls of the, the National Portrait Gallery of Heaven. Imagine walking along and, and seeing all the people mentioned in chapter 11. Consider seeing all the people you know who have died because of their faith. Uh, William Tyndale, Corrie Ten Boom, all the people on, on mission in countries where believers are persecuted. Seeing also the portraits of brothers and sisters with us today. And then we arrive at our portrait. What will we see? What are the examples of faith that stand out? Will we see the moments we showed great perseverance in the race marked out for us? Will our portrait display the moments when we lived by faith and had confidence in God's presence, power, and promise? 
over the piling pressures placed upon us by the visible world of unbelieving people. When I was working through this passage in prep and asking the question, where is this challenging me and my own heart? It was the call to completely abandon Egypt. Egypt today uh, is what the Bible calls the world, the unbelieving world. But I, I confess, I love so much about the world. I love consumerism. I love when an Amazon parcel arrives for me. I love comfort. I love beautiful things. I love so many things the world has to offer. Because the world is desirable and addictive. And that's not by accident. Egypt doesn't want me to abandon it. Earlier on in our first point, I, I said to note down how the king didn't want God's people uh, to leave Egypt. Well, now is the time to come back to that. Egypt doesn't want us to abandon it. And Egypt will go to any length necessary to make sure that doesn't happen. And what that looks like in our daily lives can be a million different things. We might not want to abandon Egypt because we love its treasures too much. We might develop a taste for material things, for good wine, for the best items technology has to offer, our, you know, our phones stuck to our hands. There are countless forms of entertainment at our fingertips, on offer everywhere, constantly grabbing our, our attention, trying to awaken an addiction. We might not want to abandon Egypt out of fear. Think of the countless ways we might fear becoming social outcasts for identifying with God's people and abandoning Egypt. In many instances, we might fear the sense of isolation for sticking to the, the teachings of scripture or the fear of missing out because our sports teams and friends usually meet on a Sunday. There are so many reasons why it's difficult because uh, Egypt doesn't want us to abandon it. But remember this, Egypt wants us to abandon God. Let's remember the words we have in chapter 10, verse 39. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. If we abandon God, there is nothing for us in the end. Instead, let us live by faith a faith shaped by the reality of God's presence, his power, and his promise, a faith that leads to a life of courageous and bold acts for God and God's people. Now, before we, we have a, a, a moment of prayer, I would, like to, I would like to set you all a challenge this week. Now, instead of your usual quiet times in the morning or, or before bed, I'd like to, to ask you to go back to the gallery to visit, visit on your own and just spend some time maybe looking at one portrait and simply ask yourself the question which is in the service sheet, how is knowing the reality of God's presence, power and promise shaping the lives of these people? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the faith that you have uh, given all of us here. We thank you for your grace and for your infinite love for us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us today to transform us and equip us as we seek to live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.